So Anna, whenever you're ready, um, feel free to get started. I'm really excited about this one. Great. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me to speak. I'm going to talk for about 40 minutes, um, mainly about my book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. And then I really hope that we get to have an interactive dialogue. I, please feel free to put questions in the chat or um, however you all do questions, but really hoping to um, interact with folks and, and, and uh, engage in a discussion with you when I'm done talking. So what I'd like to do is really tell the story of how our brains have evolved over millions of years to approach pleasure and avoid pain and how we do that reflexively. And then I'd like to talk about how this ancient wiring, which has been so important for our survival, is actually not working out very well for us in the modern world where we have access to so many feel-good substances and behaviors right at our fingertips. Um, and then I'd like to talk about what we can do about it as individuals by understanding this through the lens of neuroscience, um, specifically advances in the neuroscience of addiction, but also holding up people in recovery from addiction as modern day prophets for the rest of us for how to navigate this dopamine saturated world. So let's start with the brain. One of the most interesting findings in neuroscience in the past 50 to 75 years is that pain and pleasure are co-located in our brains. So the same parts of our brain that process pleasure also process pain and they work like a balance. So if you imagine there's like a board on a central fulcrum, kind of like a teeter-totter in a kid's playground, but when that balance is at rest, it's level with the ground. So when we do something pleasurable, our balance tips to the side of pleasure. And when we experience pain, it tips to the side of uh, pain. But one of the overarching rules governing this balance is that it wants to remain level. It doesn't wanna be tipped for very long to the side of pleasure or pain. And our brains will work very hard to restore a level balance after any deviation from neutrality. And that level balance is uh, called homeostasis. So let's say, for example, in my case, I eat a piece of chocolate or I read a romance novel or I watch a YouTube video of Dr. Pimple Popper. These are all activities that are highly reinforcing for me. I get a little tip of my pleasure pain balance in deep in the emotion centers of my brain. Um, and I get a little release of dopamine in that reward pathway. So dopamine is a very interesting molecule. It was actually only discovered as a human neurotransmitter in the 1950s. Neurotransmitters are those molecules that allow two neurons to communicate. So neurons are these long spindly cells in our brains that transmit the electrical circuit that make us who we are, but they don't actually touch end to end. There's a little gap called the synapse, and that gap is bridged by neurotransmitters, which allow this very careful neuromodulation. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter. It's one of the fundamental neurotransmitters in our experience of pleasure, motivation, and reward. And it might even be more important for motivation than it is in fact for pleasure. For example, there's a very famous experiment where scientists engineered a rat to have no dopamine. And what they discovered was when they put food into the rat's mouth, it ate the food and seemed to get pleasure from eating and swallowed the food. But if they put that food even a single body length away, the rat would starve to death. So it wasn't motivated to get up 
and go get the food. Suggesting indeed that dopamine has this fairly fundamental role, not just in the experience of pleasure, but in our motivation to do the work to get the reward. Okay, so when we do something pleasurable, the balance tip to the side of pleasure, we release dopamine in that part of the brain called the reward pathway. Also keep in mind that we all always have a tonic baseline level of dopamine firing. Um, and really what we're talking about as key here is the deviations either up or down from that baseline level as really key to creating the various behaviors that we're gonna be talking about. But remember that uh, as soon as I get a deviation uh, from baseline, my brain will work very hard to restore a level balance or homeostasis. And the way that my brain does that is by downregulating dopamine transmission and downregulating dopamine receptors, not just back down to baseline levels, but actually below baseline. So one of the ways to imagine that is to imagine that there are these little neuroadaptation gremlins hopping on the pain side of my balance, to bring it level again. But the gremlins like it on the balance, so they don't get off as soon as the balance is level. They stay on until I'm tipped an equal and opposite amount to the side of pain. That's called the come down, the opponent process mechanism, the after effect, the hangover. We're all probably familiar with that in various forms. But I will say that the extreme version, like a hangover, is something that we can all see. What we're less aware of is the more subtle urge to repeat that behavior that's maybe not even within our conscious awareness. So for example, after I'm done watching a Dr. Pimple Popper YouTube video, I have this kind of strange compulsion to watch it again. That is my mini dopamine deficit state that kind of compels it. I don't even really exactly know why. I may not even really want to watch another Dr. Pimple Popper video, but somehow I'm compelled to do it. That's that dopamine deficit state. This is a very powerful state of physiology because again, the brain wants to restore homeostasis or a level balance and will work very hard to do that. And so we'll get us to do the work to get our, our next reward. Now, if I don't reach for uh, another reward, right? Let's say there it's all done, like I ran out. Then uh, time passes and those neuroadaptation gremlins hop off. I start to upregulate my own dopamine receptors and transmission and again, homeostasis is restored. I've got a level balance and I can kind of go on with my day. But now we're going to imagine the scenario in which I have plenty of that reward and I have plenty of access to it. And also it's a highly reinforcing, engineered to be highly dopamine releasing kind of reward. So now I don't just have one, I have another and another and another, and I'm doing that over days to weeks to months to years. And what happens is that I eventually end up with enough gremlins on the pain side of my balance to fill this whole room. And they are camped out there. They have their tents and their barbecues. They're not going anywhere soon. This is essentially the addicted brain. I've now reset my hedonic pathway so that I am chronically tilted to the side of pain. I'm in what's called a dopamine deficit state. And that is something that once created does not easily reverse itself. And when I'm in that state, essentially now I need to use my drug of choice, not to feel good, but just to get out of this painful state and feel normal. And when I'm not using, I'm walking around with the balance tilted to the side of pain, experiencing the universal symptoms of withdrawal from any addictive substance, which are anxiety, 
irritability, insomnia, dysphoria, and craving, intrusive thoughts of wanting to use, often manifested by a physiologic urge to try to relieve the pain that I'm feeling. And this is exactly why people with severe addiction will often relapse even months after stopping when it's so obvious that their lives are so much better because they're not walking around at the level of balance, right? They're walking around with the balance tilted to the side of pain. Their whole cerebral cortex has become narrowed on trying to manage the craving and pain of their dopamine deficit state. And so every day is an exhaustion and they finally get to a point where they just kind of relent, give in and, and, and do what they physiologically feel they must do in order to restore homeostasis. So my goodness, why on earth would mother nature uh, put us to such a test uh, to build you know, a, a circuit in our brain that has us approaching pleasure and avoiding pain through this opponent process mechanism or this pleasure pain balance. It seems like some kind of cruel joke. But if you remember that we have evolved for a world of scarcity and ever-present danger, it makes perfect sense, right? What better way to keep us searching and seeking and motivated than to make sure that any pleasure we experience is very temporary and is indeed followed by its opposite, a state of painful craving that then has us seeking the next best thing. It's absolutely genius to keep us alive in a world where scarce, where resources are incredibly scarce and where we have to constantly be on alert uh, in order to survive. Station number two, Remember with our pleasure pain balance that when that initial stimulus is pleasure, those gremlins hop on the pain side and with repeated exposure, we can end up in this dopamine deficit state. Well, the gremlins are agnostic to the initial stimulus. So if we start out by pressing on the pain side, those gremlins are actually gonna hop on the pleasure side and help us reset our balance to the side of pleasure. So what I recommend to patients and recommend to you if you want to engage in this experiment is that in addition to abstaining from your drug of choice for a period of time, that you also invite painful activities into your life. And I, I actually mean physically painful. So things like exercise, things like ice cold water baths, but also cognitively and psychologically challenging tasks like um, doing something, you know, that's uh, intellectually very challenging or engaging in a social interaction that maybe involves experiencing shame, um, or I'm going to talk about radical truth telling in a second, telling the truth that's really painful um, when we have to expose, you know, um, ways in which we've been selfish or harmed others. What happens uh, essentially when we do that is that we tell the body that there's been an injury and the body then starts to upregulate production of dopamine and so then speeds up um, that return to homeostasis or even ultimately resets things to the side of pleasure. Now, of course, it's also possible to get addicted to pain if we press too hard and too fast on the pain side of the balance, like cutting on ourselves or extreme forms of exercise that our bodies aren't ready for. Uh, that is not good. Um, and essentially, um, then it becomes, you know, in that same vicious cycle. So we want to be really thoughtful about that. The third thing that um, I prescribe to patients and that I recommend to folks trying to restore dopamine homeostasis is to engage in radical honesty. So radical honesty is when we tell the truth 
about everything, um, you know, everything large and small, why we were late for the meeting, um, you know, how much of something we did or saw or ate um, or consumed in some way, what we actually consumed, how we're actually spending our time. Why is it that telling the truth um, is fundamental to managing compulsive overconsumption? Well, first of all, let me say that it's something I learned from my patients. A consistent theme of my patients in sustained recovery from severe addiction, no matter how they got into recovery, was that they learned they had to be very, very honest. And that once they started lying, uh, they were likely to relapse. Now, of course, people with severe addiction get to a point where they're lying about their addictive behaviors. And so stopping lying about that is really important to um, holding ourselves and others accountable. But the interesting piece here is that they also discovered that they couldn't lie about other things either. That part of being addicted is being in the lying habit and part of getting out of addiction is this kind of radical truth telling. It turns out that the average adult tells one to two lies per day. This is the average adult all comers. So we're all a little bit liars and we just sort of do it reflexively, you know, to protect ourselves, we think to protect others. And that means that not lying is hard. It requires effortful engagement. We have to actually kind of stand outside ourselves and be monitoring ourselves through the course of the day to sort of self-correct as we get that impulse to lie. But this is essentially the task of this radical honesty that can very much help us manage our compulsive overconsumption, no matter what our drug choice of choices. And there's some really, really interesting science behind it. So um, it turns out that um, when we are actively telling the truth, we're probably stimulating the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is that gray area matter behind our foreheads that's so important for delayed gratification, for future planning, and also for storytelling. So that when we're actively telling the truth, we're probably like working the muscle of our prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex has lots of circuits that connect it to our reward pathway, our nucleus accumbens, that pleasure pain balance. And we really need our prefrontal cortex to be actively engaged and online if we're going to be able to be aware of what's happening in the pleasure pain pathway, what those gremlins are up to. Uh, the other piece of it is that that pleasure pain pathway and our you know, deep limbic structures, we have an incredibly sharp memory for initial stimuli. So what gives us uh, pleasure and what gives us pain, but we're incredibly amnestic about the gremlins. So we don't tend to remember the opponent process. So for example, my patients will say, I have this incredible, vivid, euphoric recall of the first time I drank alcohol, how good it feels. And I feel like the whole history of my addiction has been trying to recreate that initial feeling. Um, and, that, and I hear that so often that the kind of vividness for that pleasurable stimulus, but not for all the bad stuff that follows on the heels of that. But likewise, we have this incredibly vivid memory for painful stimuli, but not for the good feelings we get afterwards. So for example, every morning when I wake up, I just feel a total dread of getting out of bed and exercising. And everything in my brain is telling me, stay in bed, stay in bed, it's comfortable, it's warm. And yet, and the reason is because I exercise is painful, right? Um, you know, like I don't, I don't want to have to exercise. And it's like I have to re-teach myself every single day. Oh no, wait a minute. 
after you exercise, it sets up your day better. You feel so much better. You really should exercise. So one of the ways that we can maintain awareness of the gremlins and the opponent process mechanism is in fact to be radically honest with ourselves and others about our lived experience. Because these autobiographical narratives that we tell about our lives are number one, a way to organize our past, but also importantly, they predict our actions going forward. They essentially become a grid or a roadmap for what we choose to do going forward. So if we're telling narratives that are not truthful, we're likely to make the same mistake again and again. But if we're telling truthful narratives, it has a very powerful effect on our ability to make good choices going forward, especially when it comes to this problem of compulsive overconsumption. So because I'm really eager to have an interaction with all of you all, and I hope you have questions, I'm going to stop there. Um, but what I hope you've gotten from this lecture is the ways in which our brains have evolved over millions of years to approach pleasure and avoid pain. Uh, the ways in which that primitive wiring is wonderfully adapted to a world of scarcity and ever-present danger, but highly mismatched for our modern ecosystem. I hope that you appreciate the kind of hypothesis that I've put forward, that the rising rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide that we're seeing, especially in wealthy nations, um, may be a direct result of too much dopamine, that essentially we're now down-regulating our own dopamine production and transmission to respond to this fire hose of pleasure that we're getting uh, in our modern world, and that um, that may indeed be the cause of rising despair rather than some other putative causes that have been put forward. And um, finally, I hope that you know the recommendations that I've made are something that you might consider trying in your own life. Think about what is that substance or that behavior that once I start, it's really hard stopping. I really wish I did less of that. It is interfering with my goals, with my values. Maybe I'm even lying about it. Take that thing and stop it for 30 days and know that you'll feel worse before you'll feel better. It's those gremlins hopping on the pain side. But if you can just abstain for long enough, you'll get to that place where really the, the window, the curtains kind of open, the light comes in, you're able to focus on other things. And then I really invite you to invite pain into your life as a way to maintain that kind of balance. And then finally, um, yeah, radical honesty, boy, I still am um, a, trying to learn how to do that, you know, an amateur practitioner. There's so many ways in which um, we don't want to tell the truth about little things that make us look as broken and selfish as we, we can be. But I really recommend it as a way to stimulate the prefrontal cortex, as a way to create these autobiographical narratives. Words are really tools, and these narratives are roadmaps for living. So I hope this has been helpful for you. And I'd be happy to have questions and, and talk. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to hear the full version, you can do so with a weekend university premium membership. This gets you access to your master library of over 230 talks and interviews with the world's leading psychologists, professors, and authors, as well as transcripts, CPD certification, quizzes and unlimited access to the recordings from our annual conferences. For more information, please go to theweekenduniversity.com forward slash membership.